Good morning, church. Just want to welcome you again as well if you're a guest with us. i uh, give you a little context. We are in the midst of a series we've titled Strong in Grace. And it's built around a letter that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to Timothy, a younger man uh, who is also in the ministry but was shepherding some of the churches that Paul helped start and plant. And now Paul's at the end of his life. He's actually imprisoned during this time. And he's writing this letter as an encouragement to this young leader uh, to continue on in what he's doing. And so the specifics of this message and this whole book really is in particular writing to leaders, those who want to lead or be leaders in God's church, whether it's pastoral or any area. You could be a, a group leader. You could be a ministry leader. You could be someone that just wants to lead and shepherd others. These are great principles that Paul is passing on, particularly to those who desire to be leaders. But it really, in a general way, applies to anyone who's a follower of Jesus. Because even though leaders in particular need to model these pr principles and lean into them and grow in them as leaders, just as Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, hey, church, you follow me, a leader in this church, as I follow Jesus. So those characteristics that are to be embodied in leaders are to be embodied and pursued in all of us. But the context is very specific. And today we're going to look and see how Paul speaks very clearly to Timothy uh, on how he is encouraging him to walk through uh, a period that's very difficult, to walk in a world that's very challenging. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in the last half of chapter 3. The verses will come up here on the screen in a minute. I just want to kind of get you settled and organized. We're going to go through verses 10 through 17, the last part of this chapter. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into the specifics of this and, and look at, see what we can gleaned from this passage. Father God, we thank you um, that we have your word. We thank you for the truths that it has passed on from generation to generation. Lord, there's no other book that we can hold in our hands on a regular basis that has the history that this book has. Uh, most books of this age are kept in museums or places where we could never get our hands on them, and yet this book is unique among books. And today we're going to get a little picture of why that is, but more so what you've given it to us for. So Lord, my prayer is that your spirit would illuminate our hearts and our minds to see these truths and encourage us and motivate us um, to obey them, to put them into practice, to be shaped and conformed more like your son who made these possible for us. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So context to this is, if you were here last week, uh, BJ preached on the first half of this uh, chapter, did a great job just expounding all these challenging things that, that Paul was sharing with Timothy would characterize the last times, the latter days. And he explained very clearly that the latter days aren't that, you know, Armageddon picture that we see way out there and everyone writes movies about and it's kind of weird and, and freaky. It's these days. Those latter days are the days from when Christ came to the end of the age. It's these times right now. He was describing this is what the world is going to be like in these days. And it's just a litany of different selfish type behaviors, behaviors of pride and, and greed and everything that's very self-focused 
and, and, and pointing towards ourselves. That's the context that Paul is encouraging Timothy to say, this is the context that you're going to be ministering in, young Timothy. And now as we get into it, he's going to give him two very key things to help him understand, hey, how can you be strong in grace? This book is all about being strong in grace. So he's going to share two things with him. One is why we must be strong in grace. And and given that context, it's a little bit obvious, but he's going to make it very poignant and direct in this passage. Why must we be strong in grace? That's the first thing Paul wants Timothy to understand and us to understand. And the second thing he's going to share with them is how can you be strong in grace in a season like this, in a world like this? And we're going to see two very specific things that Paul encourages Timothy that are very true for us. They've been true in my life. They've been true in the lives of people that I've had these kinds of discussions with. And they'll be true in your life if you'll embrace them. Why must we be strong in grace? And how can we be strong in grace? So if you have your Bible with you, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It'll come up on the screen as well. You can follow along there. It says, but you have followed my teaching. So coming out of the opening that's talking about all the things that are going on and, and describing what the world is like, Paul is now encouraging Timothy, saying, hey, Timothy, you haven't followed that way. You haven't followed into that pattern of the world. This is what you have done. And he's encouraging them in that direction. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and apostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why must we be strong in grace? That's what Paul starts off here after painting a picture of what ministry will be like, what living as a Christian will be like in these last times, in the days after Jesus has gone back up to heaven. He's saying, why must we be strong in grace? Because hard times bring persecution. And hard times will bring persecution to any person who wants to live a godly life. That's what Paul says in the midst of this passage. In fact, he puts the principle couched right in the midst of this whole context of Timothy following him. He says in verse 12, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus could possibly be persecuted. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. It says, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus have a 50-50 chance of being persecuted. It doesn't say that either, does it? What does it say? will. Now this isn't the only, this is maybe one of the most direct passages in the New Testament that states it as clearly as possible. But if you read the New Testament, 
This kind of statement is littered all over it. All over scripture. There's not one time that Jesus doesn't speak to his disciples in different settings and let them know, you're going to face difficulties. The world hated me. It's going to hate you as well. It goes on and on. Over and over it talks about what we should expect as believers, as those who are following Jesus. So why do we need to be strong in grace? Because this world is going to be a difficult place for a Christian to live a godly life. Is that a new truth for you today? It isn't, is it? But it's one we need to hear over and over again. And Paul was reminding Timothy, and God is telling us, as, a, as an act of love, he's not doing it to make it difficult or be, be a killjoy to us. He's doing it to say, I love you, and I want you to know exactly what it's like to live in this world as someone following after me. Because God's greatest desire is not how happy you are in this life. It's how holy you are in this life because he has so much more for you in eternal life. Church, that's a message that's totally flipped around from anything you will read or anything you will see in modern culture or modern philosophy, even in the modern church in a lot of ways. The church has allowed the message of the world to creep in in so many ways, and now has just Christianized this you know, wealth and health and, and everything you can have right here, right now on this world. That's how influential that message is, and that's what Paul is warning Timothy against, is not letting that mindset creep into the world, not turning Christianity in just another way to get our selfish desires here in this world rather than pursuing God and his purpose for eternity. I want to read a quote to you from a book called The Roots of Endurance. These are, there's a, a whole number of books in this series called The Swans Are Not Silent. It's a series by John Piper where he writes about um, Christians in history, throughout history, that were, you know, just their lives, significant Christians. I, I'm going to encourage you about some of these later on in the, in the message, but this is one that's really impacted me, and, and I've read these at different times in my life, and it was a great reminder of a mindset. But he says this in this chapter. He says, there is a mindset in the prosperous West that we deserve pain-free, trouble-free existence. When life deals us the opposite, we have a right not only to blame somebody or some system and to feel sorry for ourselves, but also to devote most of our time to coping so that we have no time or energy left over for serving others. This mindset gives a trajectory to life that is almost universal, namely, away from stress and toward comfort and safety and relief. I have found myself in conversation with Christians for whom it is simply a given that you do not put yourself or your family at risk. The commitment to safety and comfort is an unquestioned absolute. The demands of being a Christian in the 21st century will probably prove to be a rude awakening for such folks. Frustration is normal. Disappointment is normal. Sickness is normal. Conflict, persecution, danger, stress, they're all normal. The mindset that moves away from these will move away from reality and away from Christ. Golgotha 
was not a suburb of Jerusalem. I wanted to share two reasons why maybe you're not experiencing persecution in your life. You may be here and going, you know what? It's been pretty smooth. I've had a, a pretty easy go at this thing. And, and that could just be because you're still very young. <laughs> you haven't lived long enough for life to reveal some of the things that just happens to everyone after they live for a while. But there's also some things we can do in our lives that can move us away from the reality of this as well. And here's two of them. I want, these are, are gentle but firm warnings. One is a reason you may not experience persecution is you've integrated with the world. Your life is so like the life of the world that you're not experiencing persecution because you fit right in. There's nothing to be per persecuted about. Paul says in this, those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. But you can just come to church on a Sunday and then do life in the world and, and do things just like the world does and fit right in and maybe have a pretty smooth ride for a, a very long time. And that might be something you have to ask yourself is, do I look so much like the world that there's no reason for it to hate me or to hate the things that I believe or even the way in which I behave? The second way you can experience or not experience persecution is you have isolated yourself from the world. Maybe you do live a very godly life, at least in terms of your righteous behavior, your personal behavior, but you can also create environments, and Christians are known for this, is we isolate ourselves so much from the world that we aren't being persecuted by the world because we never interact with the world. We have Christian mechanics, and we eat Christian chicken, and we go to Christian schools, and we go to Christian you know, restaurants, and, and we drive on Christian roads and Christian cars, whatever. Like, like we've so isolated ourselves from the world that you're not gonna experience persecution because you're not even in the world. You're not even impacting the world. You're just protecting your own little Christian domain. But here's what Jesus said about these things. I wanna read just a few passages, but these are littered all over the scriptures. And John 15, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said this, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Over in chapter 17, he goes on to say this, in fact, this is one of his prayers. This is in the midst of his prayer for his disciples. He says, I have given them your word, meaning his disciples or his followers, us. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying, listen, that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses this illustration that most of us are very familiar with if we've been in church for a while, but we often miss its meaning or the, the big picture of it. And he says this in verse 13 of chapter 5. He says, you, as Christians, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, 
How can it be made salty? The salt, the idea here in this illustration is salt is our internal characteristics, our, our, our behavior and who we are internally as Christians. And if, if we lose that saltiness, if we lose our values as Christians and our beliefs as Christians, then we're no longer effective as a salt to be a preservative in the world. And so he's saying, hey, you need to live according to my word to have your saltiness. That's what makes you effective. That's part of it, okay? So that's one aspect, is our internal integrity and our values. It's no longer good for anything if it's not salty, but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. But now he uses a second metaphor. So that's about your internal holiness, but this is about your external position. He says, you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. Let me ask you something. When you built your house, did you clump all the lights in your home into one single room and spot? No, you don't, do you? You spread the lights out into the darkness. You place them in dark places so that they can shine light into the spaces. Jesus is addressing both of those here. Yes, we need to have internal holiness. We need to be different and unique because of how we are shaped in Christ. But we need to be positioned out and sent out into the dark world. And when those two things are true in your life, you will experience challenges. You'll experience trials. You'll experience persecution. Paul promised it. Jesus experienced it. It's part of the world. The second thing we're going to see here in the second question is, is that's why we must be strong in grace because we're going to face challenges to live the Christian life the way we're called to live it. But the second thing Paul answers here is how can we do that? He's going to tell Timothy two ways that you can be strong in grace. There's certainly more than this, but here's two key ways in which you can be strong in grace in your life. The first is this one. Follow godly examples to provide strength in hard times. Follow godly examples to provide strength. Here's how Paul puts it in here. He says in verse 10, He says, but you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with my persecutions. Timothy was following Paul. He was watching him. He had a a model, a mentor, someone he could look into his life and realize, wow, this guy is an incredible, faithful minister of the gospel. But with that, he's also faced some incredible challenges and persecutions in his life. Timothy saw an example that modeled what the scriptures tell us. And so he had a picture of what it might look like to follow in Paul's footsteps. But he had other examples as well. He says this in verses 14 and 15. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. He doesn't just say, you know what they taught you. You know those people that taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
Timothy had a, a faithful mother and grandmother that taught him and showed him the scriptures. He had people in his life that he could see godly examples that he had certainly watched go through difficulties. Timothy's dad was probably not a believer. He was a, a Greek and Timothy was, you know, had kind of a mixed origin, and his father's never mentioned in there. So he probably had some challenges. His mom probably had some challenges that she was walking through, and he had seen her walk through those in his life. Godly examples. I want to give you three encouragements in that realm to help you. The first is godly examples remind us that you're not alone. You know, one of the strangest but strongest forms of encouragement is hearing someone else's struggle in their walk with the Lord. It's, it's strange that way, but it's one of God's gifts of encouragement. When you hear someone else and see, hear their story and, and some of the struggles they've faced in their life as a Christian, you start to see this context. Because most of us walk in here on Sundays and everyone's you know, kind of put together and we got our Christian smiles on and it looks like everything's going great. And everyone just thinks, hey, that person, as long as I've seen them here in the couple of years I've been here, they just seem so strong. They seem like they just are walking so firmly with the Lord. That's amazing. But you don't know any of their history. You don't know any of the things that they've walked through that have brought them to this particular point in life. And as long as you're isolated and think that you're the only one walking through the situations that you're going through, you are right where the enemy would love you to be. Isolated and believing a lie. One of the best things you can do in your small group, if you're in a small group or, or around with other ones, is take a week or take a few weeks and, and maybe have one or two people. We've done this in a number of groups that we've been part of just to get to know people and say, hey, tell us your journey. Tell us your spiritual journey. Or take a night and just say, hey, as we get together tonight, let's, every one of us, I, I want everyone to share one of the most difficult seasons you went through as a follower of Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, you will come away deeply encouraged by what you hear. It's so important that we see that and hear that from godly examples. Here's the second thing that godly examples do. Godly examples give us a model we can follow. They remind us that we're not alone. They also give us a model we can follow. That's what Paul was saying here. Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my love, my endurance, they give us a model. When you hear someone else's story, you're gonna connect with their story and you're gonna gain some wisdom from their experience and say, hey, I'm so encouraged by how you walk through that. Would you help me go through that? Would you walk with me through this? Would you encourage me or pray for me during this season? And you'll learn from them. The last thing that you see in this section, I think, is that godly examples give us motivation to endure. Godly examples give us motivation to endure. One of the things I would encourage you with, and one of the reasons I quoted from this book and this series, is it's a series all about uh, Christians throughout time. It gets us out of our own time frames and thinking that we're the only Christians that have ever walked the earth. One of the most encouraging things you can do is read Christian biographies. 
I have several different books. One of my favorites is 50 Christians that Everyone Should Know. And it's a couple pages on each of them, and it just has helped point me to other ones where I want to read their full biography and learn about them. But people like Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Mission, and his journey to going there and, and breaking into areas that no other missionary had ever gone, and how he prepared himself, the things he faced while he was there, are unbelievable. But when you read that, it brings some context to your own life. I read so many of these at different seasons that were incredibly difficult for me in ministry, and it brought some context to go, man, I've got it really easy in many ways in in comparison. But more so, seeing how God showed up and even used them in the most difficult seasons of their life. Some of these pastors and some of these missionaries actually were at a point of wanting to commit suicide and their wife stood there encouraging them and keeping them from making the decision that would have been totally tragic in their own life. But you realize the journeys they went through are no different than the ones that you and I face every single day. Think of Elizabeth Elliot who saw her husband killed by the very tribe that she remained stationed with to make sure they could hear the gospel. And the example of her life to a tribe who knew they took the most important person on this earth from her life. Those examples will encourage you. I think of William Wilberforce. Piper writes about him. He was a British, been in the British Parliament and spent his whole life in the Parliament trying to bring or abolish the African slave trade in the British colonies. His whole life he fought for this. 11 times it was canceled and and pushed aside, and he kept fighting fearlessly and, and, and discouraged at different times. And it wasn't until he was towards the end of his life that it even finally got passed and it was abolished, this one thing that he fought most of his life for. And then it wasn't until just a few days before he passed away that it actually was implemented and brought about. He spent his whole life fighting for this one mission, to abolish the African strafe trade that was happening across the British colonies. Amy Carmichael, who as a single woman went to India, some of the most dangerous parts of there, and, and gave her life and served to bring the gospel into places that it had never been. I would encourage you, if you're in a challenging season, grab some of these books and be encouraged by what God has done over and over in the lives of people throughout history. And if you're not in a difficult season, Grab one of these books and read about it because your challenge is coming. Be prepared for when it comes. It'll encourage you and strengthen you. I love this passage in Hebrews 12. I'll bring it up, but we see it in its context. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Hebrews 12, if you don't know this, follows Hebrews 11. 
Yeah, that's a freebie for you. I'm just giving you that one right off the, but if you are familiar with Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is often called the hall of faith and it lists all these people that in spite the incredible odds or challenges or things that they face and oftentimes even died never fully experiencing what they were pursuing. It's the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Read that and, and, and then it concludes with this, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. It's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy right here. Timothy, you've had witnesses around you in your life. Press on, young man. I'm encouraging you today for that same thing. Find people that are walking with the Lord, godly examples, and ask them to share their stories. You'll be absolutely shocked at what some people have walked through that you would have never perceived. Last thing Paul says to Timothy in this passage is the second way we can be strong in grace, and that's to trust God's word to provide strength in hard times. Trust God's word to provide strength in hard times. He says it this way in verses 14 and following. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. That's the scriptures. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have heard and known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Trust God's word. Why should we trust it? There's so many gurus out there. You can flip through social media. You can go to a bookstore. You can find a million and one people that will tell you they have the plan to give you the life that you need. But every one of those books ends up being passed on over time. Where this one has endured. Because of its character, because of its nature. And this passage tells us this. Because it is God-breathed is what the word means. All scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. And this is what's so important. The authors are not what was inspired They were just people that God used in a mighty way. It says all scripture is inspired. These words, these truths that you hold in your hands are the very words and thoughts of God for you. In spite of the imperfections of the people who wrote them or penned them, these words are God's truth for you and for me. And they will transform you as they point you towards Jesus Christ for salvation, as it tells us that's what it's for. In fact, I I think it's kind of humorous. Don't tell anyone this. I'm giving you a huge secret today that I don't want to get out because it could cost me my job. But all I really do here is I, I read Scripture to you, then I explain the Scriptures to you, and then I summarize God's word for you. Then I illustrate his, his word. Then I apply 
his word. I might use a metaphor to help you understand his word. That's all I really do. This is what does everything. And people will go, oh my goodness, what you said, like you were speaking right to me, or that just really encouraged me, or that's exactly what I needed to hear. That just changed me. And I was like, I stole every bit of it. <laughs> like, talk about violating copyright, right? I'm just stealing what God has told us over and over again. And we laugh at that, but that's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. That's exactly what he's encouraging us to do as leaders. That's what he's telling us to do as Christians. This is God's truth. It's why we should measure everything that we do with these words. Gives wisdom for salvation through Jesus. It, it, it tells us how, how it does it, by teaching, by training, by rebuking, by correcting. All these words are both a positive and a negative for the same things. You teach what you're supposed to believe. You, you need to believe properly, then you need to be in God's word to teach you what is true. You need to change some things, well, then you need to rebuke or, or correct some of the wrong thoughts that you have in your mind that will change how you go forward. And your behaviors, you train someone to begin a new behavior. There's discipline involved in becoming holy. We're training, just like a coach trains an athlete to do something, not because they're disciplining them in a negative way, they're training them to do the same thing over and over and over and over again, and that can challenge them, and the same is true in our acts of godliness. Sometimes you just have to step forward and say, I'm doing this because I need to be trained in this area of godliness and allow God to change you and transform you. And it tells us why. We don't read this book, we don't study this book, even though we can get in that way, just to have all kinds of phenomenal knowledge about the Bible and about God and to win all the arguments that we're in. It tells us the purpose is to make us complete, to make us mature and and prepare us for every good work. That's what God has given us this book for. No other book will change you or impact you more. Jesus modeled this perfectly. When he was in the desert, Matthew chapter 4, tempted by the devil, being persecuted, you could say, by the devil, three times he was challenged and, and, and tempted by the devil. And what did he do every single time? He quoted the scriptures from Deuteronomy. Three different times he used scripture to be strong in grace in the midst of one of his greatest temptations in life. But that wasn't the only one. In fact, that wasn't the ultimate one, as important as it was. When Jesus was crucified, he said some words that oftentimes we don't understand why he would say that, or we just think it's his humanity expressing itself. And certainly, he always expressed his humanity because he was human and he was God. But What we see here is a perfect example of what Paul is talking about, about being strong in grace by relying on God's word and trusting his word. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, when he was being spit at and beaten and and left for dead, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We just see that as him calling out some words about 
how God may have forsaken him, but they would have understood it, and we should understand it as him quoting a very psalm that's written in the scriptures, and it was written even before he was on the cross. It was written by David, King David, whom the line of Jesus came from, and so David's in that line, Jesus is from that line, and, and back then, you gotta understand, they didn't have the chapters and verses in the Bible like we have right now. Those aren't inspired. They're just men put them in there to help us look things up when we get together on the weekends. But the original scriptures were just chapters. It was just written right through. So how would you let someone know to find a certain psalm? You would quote the very first line of it, and that was their indicator of what it was. And so Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not for us to go, yeah, God, like, what's up with this? But for us to answer that question and understand it, that why did God forsake Jesus? He forsook Jesus so that he could redeem you and I, that he could see people throughout generations and throughout time come to know him and tell the story of the redemption that came to us through the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to just listen for a moment. It's not going to come up on the screen. Just listen. This is the last verses of Psalm 22. That if someone would have heard those words and gone to that psalm and read it, they would have understood what Jesus knew was happening in that moment. And here's how Psalm 22 ends. It says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. That's descendants, the people that come after him. That's, that's us eventually. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. That's us. They will declare what he has done. Jesus was strong enough in grace to experience the most horrific, unjust persecution ever experienced in this world. Because he knew what God his Father was doing through it. He knew the great things that would come from his sacrifice. Let me encourage you today, wherever you might be, if you're facing hard times right now, find a godly example. Find another Christian. Find another believer. And ask them to share their journey. Ask them to hear where you're at. But don't walk that journey alone. You're going to see in the midst of your darkest times some of the deepest truths that God is working in your life if you do that. Likewise, the more God's word is a regular part of your life, the more prepared and the more grace you will experience in times of difficulty. This book will give you perspective, just like it gave Jesus perspective in the midst of his hour. It is intended to give you perspective and me perspective.
It's not discouraging to think life could be difficult here. You know what's discouraging? Is to think this life is all that we have. Even if this life was perfect and great, if it ends at that moment of your last breath, it has zero meaning for all of eternity afterwards. But that's not the hope for a Christian. We might have difficulty for a small little sliver of time, but we have infinite joy and pleasures for all of eternity because of what Jesus has done. Don't let the truths of the world crowd out the beauty of God's word and God's son. That perspective will bring you a hope that will allow you to endure any challenge this world could throw at you. Let's pray. Father, um, I'm thankful, even though I don't like the thought of some of these truths, I'm thankful that you're a God who is honest, who is truthful. Because wrong expectations can lead to all kinds of devastation in our lives. And Lord, I'm also thankful that you don't just tell us the truth. You walked through the truth for us. Lord Jesus, if anyone deserved comfort, if anyone deserved ease and pleasure and all the good things that this world could offer, it was you. And yet you are so enamored with the joys and treasures of eternity that nothing this world could throw at you could tempt you to want it more than what you knew awaited in the presence of your Father. You're the only one that knows those things other than believers who have passed before us. Lord Jesus, help us to see you through your word. Help us to lean into you and trust you when we face the difficult times that come. So we can be strong in grace, Lord, like you are. In your precious name we pray. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand and continue worshiping with us?
You can have a seat. Thank you so much. I want to say thank you to Pastor Chad and uh, Pastor BJ for filling in. Um, I had to, I was preaching over in the classic service. 
um, because the Lord is doing some really sweet things in, in our church. And I want to share a little bit with you about some of those things that we are um, experiencing the Lord doing and what we're inviting our church into. Um, I'm going to unpack a little bit more of this next Sunday as well. But I want to share with you briefly, Isaiah 43, 19 is the verse that we've been sensing as an elder board of what God is doing. And that verse says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. See that it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And as we've been studying and praying over that verse, a few things stand out real clear on that. The Lord is doing something new in our culture and within our church. But it's also He is the one that is springing these things up. We're not forcing them. We're not fabricating them. We're not manufacturing them. It's what he is doing. And the challenge that he gave the nation of Israel, the same challenge that he's given us is, do you perceive it? Will you see it? And will you adjust accordingly? And will you walk into it? So this past November, uh, Mary Ellen Johnson, who's our director of fine arts and worship here at this church, she came into my office and informed me something that the Lord's been doing in her heart. She shared with me that her time to retire is coming soon. And when she shared that with me, I immediately hit this wave of sadness and grief and sorrow because that means selfishly there's a loss. I love Mary Ellen dearly. She's a gem. She is a treasure. She's been a solid foundation in this church. And so once I got over my selfishness, practicality started to hit my brain. What do we do now with the classic service? And so I started to pray about it, started to think about it, and I determined, I was like, listen, this is not a decision that I can make or our staff can make. This has to be an elder-informed, an elder-processed, and eventually a 100% united elder decision. And so I brought that to the elders, and the elders went through this process of discernment, of prayer, of fasting, of bringing in certain staff, Don Reed and Mary Ellen being some of them, and listening and processing. And at first, if we were to be asked, did you perceive it, what God was doing, our answer as an elder board would have been a collective no. But as we sat back and prayed and fasted, church, I want to let you know something. Every day this year, an elder has been fasting for the church. Okay, like they are really leaning into what God is doing in our church right now. And it's really, really sweet and challenging. But as we started to discern what's happening in our culture, as we've been discerning what's happening in our church, we concluded that the right decision that the Lord is doing in light of everything that God is doing, I'm going to unpack this more next week, is that the decision to merge the classic with the contemporary service is the right decision to make. Okay, so that, that is exciting for some and also hard for some. The Lord is doing a new thing. It's one that should cause us to celebrate and rejoice, but it's also a decision that also should cause us to be compassionate and merciful and long-suffering and coming alongside and listening. Okay, and so this is really encouraging, especially in light of everything we've been hearing in 2 Timothy. We need every generation to reach every generation. We need to have one-ups and one-downs, and we need people pouring into us. We need collisions of multi-generational people engaging, building relationships to tell us and to tell each other Jesus is worth it. 
And so that's the decision that's happening. And this decision was not made because Mary Ellen is retiring. The Lord used that decision to open our eyes to see all that God's been doing in our church. It's springing forth. Do you perceive it? And our answer is yes. Now, church, I want to give you a challenge. And I want to give us some motivation to love well in this season. Next Sunday is their last time they'll have the classic service there. On April 9th is Easter. We'll all be together. And then starting on April 16th, we'll all be together. If you go to Ezra chapter 3, you see a new thing that the Lord is doing. He's bringing people out of exile to rebuild the temple. God stirred up the heart. Cyrus or Darius, one of those two, don't hold me to it, to, help, to mobilize and to resource Israel to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And as they started to rebuild the temple, they laid down the foundation. There was people who have never experienced the first temple, never seen it. Now they're caught up into a new story and they're shouting for joy that God would give them this opportunity. And at the same time, there was older priests and older heads of family that were weeping because it's not as good or not as beautiful or as splendid as Solomon's temple. So in that moment of worship, God was doing something new. They all came together and there was great joy and weeping. So much so, it was such a beautiful collision of emotion, nobody could discern between the joys and the weeping. Both are appropriate. God receives both emotions. And as we move together as a church, we are one family. God has given us an uncommon unity. Let us be very hospitable. Because some of those folks will come over to this room and they're going to feel like newcomers. Find them, love them, sit next to them, encourage them. Understand that it's not always going to be a thing of joy. Some will see it as joy. Some will process the emotion. That's okay. The Lord is doing a new thing. And we collectively, not just here, but we collectively over there, we all believe that this is what the Lord's doing. And so it's exciting for this in our time because we believe God's going to use this church to change generations, to transform a city, to see people come to faith in Jesus. I don't know about you, but I am all excited and all ready for that. Amen? Sweet. That was really half-hearted, but that's okay. You guys already heard a sermon. You're like, it's lunchtime. But um, second thing I want to share with you, too, that is something that God is doing. As you know, the Ziski family and the Ten Hakens, we are in Rwanda. Got a few pictures here. I want to share with you, um, this was unbeknownst to me. got to be part of, if you could go back to the one with bricks on the ground. We got to go there. That's the, the groundbreaking ceremony for the third church that you all partnered with to raise funds for. Yeah. Now, what was awesome about that was when I went there a few years ago, this is where the Lord started to stir in my heart that Austin Oaks Church will own and partner with Africa New Life for the upper northeast region of Rwanda to plant churches. And as we got to go around, we now saw Karangazi, which was the first. The second one was Niamirama. See, I got it right. Thank you. And this is the, the church that was there. This was where the team went last year to be part of it. I got amazing news to share with you. On March 5th, they baptized 200 people at this church. The majority of them were new believers. 
Now, like, this is what's, I, I wish you could see it because words are going to fall short. Like, not only are we changing people's forevers, we are literally elevating standard of living and helping people get out of extreme poverty and education and giving them opportunities to like build a sustainable future and medical all of these things there so thank you so much on behalf of african new life and pastor charles for that but also when we i was at that field there was another thing that was stirring between pastor charles and i that we were just praying into and we're just taking steps into it um we are going to kind of walk into a season we're, we're going to have uh, the worship pastor from Africa New Life come here with his wife for the next two weeks. So I want to show you pictures of Ale and Linka. Um, they will be flying in this Tuesday and they're going to be here for two weeks. And part of that process is just discernment and just going, Lord, is there more that you want to have between African New Life and Austin Oaks Church? And so they'll be leading worship next Sunday. It's going to be amazing. Great people, great hearts. They'll be part of Easter. But like, I want you to welcome them, love on them. They're amazing people. And we're excited just to discern what the Lord would have for us as a church because we're praying through. Is this something that we could see them being missionaries at? We don't know but it's just a process that we're walking into. So I want to encourage you for that as well. And last and certainly not least, as you already heard, we're moving into Holy Week. I want to encourage you, come on Thursday. Okay? Come on Thursday. Prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts. This is a significant season in the Christian life. But also serve. If you, if you can, choose to serve. Volunteer. Take those cards. Invite people. Okay, invite people to Easter. We're going to talk about Jesus conquering death in a grave and what that means. So I want to encourage you to be part of that. Church, I love you so much. Thank you so much for everything that you do in terms of obedience to Jesus. I want to pray for us. We can be dismissed. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for elders in our church whose spirits that you've created to be sensitive to you. Thank you that we have elders who pray and fast and seek you in scripture. Thank you that we can tr trust ourselves to them as they follow you. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our church, that you're stirring up a multi-generational movement in our church, one that is going to strive towards uncommon unity. And Lord, thank you as well for allowing us just to be part of a small thing of what you're doing in the nation of Rwanda. Lord, we pray for Ale and Linka on their travels. We pray that the travel goes well, that they're well rested when they get here. And I pray, Lord, that not only are we blessed, but that we would be a blessing to them. So, Lord, we ask that you would go forward. Help us to see you this week. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good week.